If you have your Bible, you can open it up uh, to Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, So as we said, uh, today marks the beginning of Holy Week. And so this is uh, the day that we commemorate Jesus' triumphal entry uh, into uh, Jerusalem. So as we jump into that, let me just give you a quick recap of, of where we've been in Luke, because um, we're coming towards the end, and we're kind of coming towards the climax of the whole story. And there's all kinds of themes and, and, and motifs and things going on in Luke that today are going to kind of come out, all right, in our text. And so in Luke, if you remember, it was actually in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where the text told us that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, meaning that he was now headed toward Jerusalem, not for his first time, but for his final time, because he knows that that's when he's going to be giving his life on the cross, will be buried, resurrected, and uh, he will be starting his kingdom. And so as we're on, we've been on this journey together to Jerusalem since chapter nine. We're in chapter 19. So 10 chapters, Jesus walking to Jerusalem, stopping and healing people, stopping and teaching people, getting confronted, getting some tussles with the Pharisees here and there. A lot of teaching going on. So there's been two things that have been apparent Uh, that Jesus has been trying to convey to us on this journey. Number one, uh, the first thing is that as Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, he's trying to make it clear to everyone, I am going to start the kingdom of God. Like, that's what I'm going to do. The kingdom of God is at hand. And when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to do something that's going to start this kingdom all right, so in, uh, what was it, Second Samuel chapter 7, all right, all the way back in your Old Testament, King David's on the throne, and so God makes a promise to David. He says, hey, listen, I'm going to raise up one of your offspring, so way on down the road, and that person is going to sit on your throne, David, and he's going to have an everlasting kingdom, meaning that he'll be on the throne forever. He won't die. He will rule forever. He will be a good king that will establish this thing that we call the kingdom of God, all right, where no other kingdom will exist anymore, right? I mean, it's going to be the kingdom of God. So all of God's people for all of the Old Testament into where we are now with the Pharisees have been waiting for this Messiah, this person to show up who's going to sit on the throne of David forever. And so Jesus shows up and says, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that's gonna go sit on that throne. Hey, I'm setting my face to Jerusalem. We're gonna go there and I'm gonna do something there that's going to put me on the throne. I'm going to do something there that is going to start the kingdom of God. However, Jesus was not planning on going to Jerusalem to start that kingdom with a sword. He was planning to go start that kingdom on the cross. Right through the cross, Jesus would begin to reconcile people, sinners, to himself save them from their sins, 
bring them into his family. They're part of the kingdom. And so that's why Jesus would say things like, hey, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts really, really, really small, but then it grows to be really big because he's talking about people's hearts. He's not talking about conquering with a sword. He says, I'm gonna start it really small with the cross and the resurrection. And then the church is gonna begin and it's gonna spread And as we win hearts to Christ, as people follow Jesus, the kingdom grows. So we're in this phase now where the kingdom is growing. We're part of this mission of telling people about Jesus, having them come and follow Jesus and join God's family, right? That's why things like we just saw, evangelism are so important because this is about God's kingdom growing, right? It's about getting people into the kingdom, This is why things like serving the vulnerable and the oppressed is so important because it's about displaying what God's kingdom is actually like. It's not just the words we use, but it's also how we love people in this world. Like the church is called to feel like and smell like God's kingdom where God's on the throne and he's a good king. I'm just proud of you, Grace Hill, because I think in the life of Irene and so many others that we serve and our neighbors, that's exactly what we're doing, proclaiming it with our mouths, but also with our lives. And so Jesus is on the way to do this. Second thing that's apparent on his journey is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, um, you know, Jesus had several run-ins with them. We've been preaching through them. Um, it's apparent that they rejected this idea that Jesus is that king, right? They're looking at Jesus and what he's saying, what he's teaching, and they're going, no, that doesn't match my expectations on what that king who's going to sit on David's throne is going to look like or be like. They were expecting someone to come grab the kingdom with a sword. They were expecting something that's more like a political or militaristic type of rule for Israel. So they reject Jesus. But on this journey, on the way, all of these other unlikely people see that he's the king. All these unlikely people see, oh, that's the Messiah, that's Lord. And it's people like the blind and the crippled and the lost and the prostitute, and the sinner, all of these people, as Jesus, he's ministering to them, teaching them, loving them, caring for them, displaying the kingdom to them, proclaiming it to them, and they go, that's the Lord we've been waiting for. And this is exactly what Jesus said he would do. Luke chapter four, this is in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So now in Luke 19, we're at the end of his ministry, but in the very beginning of his ministry, He went to a synagogue and he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he said this, quoting Isaiah, God the Father has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And it's those kinds of people that Jesus encountered who saw that's the king we've been waiting for. And so they followed Jesus. So in our text, we finally make it to Jerusalem. 
And, and as we read this encounter and this, uh, um, this uh, record of Jesus going into Jerusalem, we're gonna be forced to ask the question of ourselves. Who do we see Jesus as? Who, who is Jesus to me? And the Pharisees have an answer to that question. A lot of Jesus' disciples, disciples and followers have an answer to that question. And in that question, in our text, and actually for all of Holy Week, we're gonna be wrestling with that question. Who is Jesus? Who does he claim to be? And what does that exactly mean for my life? Do I accept him as the one who sits on the throne forever or not? So let's jump in. Um, Chapter 19, I'm gonna start in verse 28. Let's, uh, Let's go 28 to 38. So it says this, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany. Uh, so uh, this is, uh, where does it say? Right at the mount that is called Olivet. So if you're looking at Jerusalem on the map, kind of like, sorry, to the uh, east there, kind of a little bit northeast. And there's this mountain that, this is really like a hill, that overlooks Jerusalem. And you can see the Temple Mount. If you've ever been to Israel, you can still go sit there and look at the Temple Mount. So that's where Jesus is, kind of on that mountain, overlooking the city. And he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, because the Lord said to. Sorry, or the Lord has need of it is what it says, but essentially, like the King of kings, the Lord of lords, your creator said you had to. Okay, verse 32. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Hey, like, why are you taking the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. That was enough. That was good. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, so he's coming into the city, right? They spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. We'll stop right there for just a second. The author, Luke, narrator of this story, is trying to make something very clear to us in this text, and that's this. Jesus is absolutely the Messiah. He is the king. I mean, there are a couple of things going on uh, in here right now. Number one, he he tells us about the fact that Jesus rode in on a cult, a a cult, right? That's from Zechariah 9.9. That's a prophecy saying that the king would come into Jerusalem in that very way. He's making sure we see the connection. 
All right, the people of God are lying their cloaks on the road. That's a way to venerate a king who's passing by. He's making it clear. These people see him as king. All right, and so Luke wants us to know in this text that this is the king of David, or this is the king on the throne of David. This is the Messiah that is now coming into Jerusalem. And his disciples are proclaiming that he is king with their shouts. So that's something Luke wants us to know. So let's keep going in our text. Verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher. It's very important. They call him teacher, rabbi. Not Lord, not Messiah, not king. If we go read through Luke, I've been trying to highlight this for you. We've been studying it. It's very important in the Gospel of Luke, the names by which people call Jesus. And what you'll see in the Gospel of Luke is how people change what they call Jesus. They'll call him teacher, then they'll have an encounter with him, and then he's Lord, right? The Pharisees say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because in their eyes, they're blaspheming. Jesus is not king. He's not the Messiah. He's not the one to come sit on the throne of David. And you treating him as such in their eyes is blasphemy. So they're saying rebuke them for this. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus is saying, hey, like this is a train that's left a station. Right, you're not stopping what's going on. The kingdom is coming and it's coming now and it's coming in my way. Verse 41, and when he drew near and he saw the city, so as you come over that Mount of Olives, you can see the whole city in the horizon. He wept over it saying, would that you, even you, Jerusalem, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. See here is this contrast between the disciples of Jesus, probably made up of an unlikely crew, and the Pharisees who refused to receive Jesus as king. So as a whole, the city of Jerusalem, right? God's holy city, the, the city that God privileged to see the things of God first and to be first invited into the kingdom of God. This whole city is rejecting its king. And so Jesus weeps over it, right? To them, Jesus is just a controversial teacher. He's not king. He's not Lord. He's not savior to them. But what about us? Who is Jesus to us today? What role do we allow Jesus to play in our life? Who do we believe Jesus is? Right, this is the question that we have to wrestle with today. And this is the question that we're going to be wrestling with for all of Holy Week. I really encourage you, as Evan already said, to grab this guide. And you can get it online, too, if you want a PDF version. But through this guide, we're gonna walk you through Holy Week in the Gospel of Luke this whole week. You have a reading every day starting today, a meditation, things for you to reflect on it. And the big question we're asking every single day is who is Jesus to me? 
What role does he play in our life, in my life? What would it look like for me to submit to him to play this kind of role in my life? Do I accept him for who he says he is or do I reject him for who he says he is? Because if Jesus is who he said he is, then that has massive implications on our lives. And so as we read the rest of our text this morning, I I think we're going to see three different roles that Jesus plays in our life. Three different roles that he commands, that he takes in our life. And my question is, do we allow Jesus to play these three roles? And here's the thing with all three of them. All three of these roles require submission and all three lead to peace. All three of these roles require an element of submission, an element of you're king, you're God, I'm not, right? I don't know what you know. I don't have the abilities you have, right? You're more important. There's a sense of reverence a sense of awe, a sense of God is transcendent and he's speaking to us through his word. So I'm gonna submit to what he says and follow him. There's an element of submission in all three of these roles and in all three of them, they lead to peace. So let's jump in, let's do these three. I didn't give myself a lot of time, my little thing I did up front. So we'll go quick. Rule number one that I think we see in the text is this, and it's the obvious one, right? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Our whole passage this morning is highlighting the fact that Jesus is the king that his people have been waiting for, and he is our king. And so what this means is that if you follow Jesus, then you have made Jesus king of your life. Right, you have given him sovereign rule over your life. You know, I think sometimes we can say with our mouths, Jesus is king. We like that idea, kind of in a ceremonial way, right? Yeah, 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 Jesus is king. But we fight his will. We question his will. We wonder if the things that he allows to happen, if they're really good or not good. But if Jesus is king, right, there's an element of submission there, right? There's an element of going, okay, Jesus, I trust that you're going to sovereignly rule over all things better than I would sovereignly rule over all things. So I submit myself to your will. That's part of what makes Jesus king in our life. Look at our text real quick. Go to verse 41. I'm going to read through verse 44. I want you to see this little thing Jesus says here. He says, we already read the first two, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, Jerusalem, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
What is Jesus talking about here? What Jesus is doing, he's foretelling what's about to happen in AD 70. Okay, so 40-ish years from now, the Romans are gonna come in, surround Jerusalem, burn it down to the ground. The temple is gonna get destroyed. Jesus is saying, this is about to happen to you. He's foretelling that. Okay, and that happened in AD 70. But here's essentially what Jesus is doing. He's foretelling this destruction, yes, but in in another sense, Jesus is saying, listen, my kingdom is different than brick and mortar in Jerusalem. My kingdom is different than now a brick and mortar temple. My kingdom is now different after the cross than what you expect it to be. It's going to grow differently, not a political militaristic rule. You're in for a big disappointment in about 40 years if you think the kingdom of God is a political militaristic rule starting here in Jerusalem. No, the kingdom of God starts in hearts. It's going to start at the cross. That's what it is. That's what I'm here to do. And that is how I am going to do it because I'm sovereign king. That's my way. And so Jesus, in a sense, is, is challenging them here. Like, yes, you have to submit to the will of God, and the will of God is different than what you think it's going to be. And how often do we fall into that same thing? Do we struggle to submit to the rule of Jesus in our life, in what he's trying to do inside of our life? And I think we can struggle with this in really small ways, kind of petty ways, and then I think we can struggle with this in big ways. Let me give you an example of a small way. I struggled with this like a week ago. So like a week ago, I was in the Dominican Republic with that guy that you just saw in the video with the big beard. Um, We were doing some work down there for the institute that he leads. I was flying home on a Friday night. I had to get in Friday night because Saturday morning was my son's baseball game. And I coached the team. It's our first game of the year. So I have to be there for the first game. So it's great. I'm flying home. Get on the plane in Puerto Plata, Dominican. Everything's on time. We're great. Taxi to the runway. We get on that runway, and this lady in the back of the plane loses her mind over masks. And so she's just going off. Flight attendants are trying to calm her down. And uh, we sit there on the runway for a long time, and like flight is just talking to her. We eventually taxi back to the gate. They're still talking, they're still talking, they're still talking. Eventually, three police officers come on board and drag this lady off the plane. And the entire plane was live streaming this thing. I was like texting Kim at the time. I was like, you wouldn't believe this. Um, So anyway, we take off an hour and a half late because of this lady. Everybody on that plane missed their connection. So we land in Miami, and I'm like, okay. I look in my clock, I'm like, all right. If I can hustle through customs, if I can get my bag, recheck it for my uh, flight back to D.C. quick enough, I think I can make my flight. So I'm like running through to get to passport control. I get through real quick, praise God. Get to the baggage. You gotta get your bag off when you're international flight, right? To recheck it. It's kind of annoying. I don't understand why. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, if the bag comes out like immediately, I think I'm good. So I prayed, God, please, like can my bag be does it have to be number one? Could it be like two or three or four? All right, out. That would be amazing. So, and the bags actually came pretty quick. So they start popping out and I'm standing there and I'm standing there and it doesn't come out. And there's a group of us, maybe like six of us, 
that our bags didn't come out. So we're like, all right, what do we do? So then finally this person from the airline comes by and says, hey, you wouldn't believe this. One of the bag trailers got left on the tarmac that has your bags in it. We got them. They'll be here in about 10 minutes. And I'm like, come on. I had already missed my flight at that time. So finally it comes. And so I'm like, God, what, what in the world? Like I prayed for me to be first. And I was on the trailer that got left behind at the plane. Like some guy forgot to hitch it up. And I'm on that one, you know, and I missed my flight. And, and the Lord was kind because I was another flight to DC got delayed and I was able to get on it. So I got home in time. But I remember even in that small petty moment of going, God, how come my will on the baggage stuff at the airport can't just bend your will a little bit? Right? Do you even hear my prayers? And I think sometimes in those small moments like that of frustration, we ask, like, God, do you, like, do you care about these little moments? But I also think we struggle with it in big moments of life. When we get hard news, moments of suffering, moments of broken relationship, whatever it is, and we wonder, God, why would you give me the circumstances that I have today? And so we focus so much on changing those circumstances instead of asking God, why? Why, God, in your sovereign rule, do you have me where I am today? And how can I steward that as one of your kingdom representatives? Because what makes for peace is trusting and submitting to the sovereign rule of God, right? Jesus is king. He's bringing his kingdom. It will be here in its fullness sometime later. And we wait for that. We yearn for that. But right now, we submit to his will in his life as he guides and directs us. Jesus is king. Do we let Jesus be king in our life? That's a question we're gonna wrestle with this week if you go through your holy guy. And I encourage you to do that. Role number two Jesus is Lord. He's Lord in this text. Look at verses 45 to 48. So Jesus just got into Jerusalem. What's the first thing he does? Goes to the temple, verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. So other gospels have a bit fuller of a description of this. He started flipping tables. He was angry, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. Let me just give you a picture of what happened here at the temple, okay? So I want you to imagine this. In the temple, the outer courtyard is called the court of Gentiles. So this was a place that Gentiles and people who were considered unclean could come and they could observe the worship of the temple. And God made it very clear in the Old Testament, like Psalm 67, right, and other places. Hey, Israel, I'm blessing you. I chose you so that you would be a blessing to the nations, right? Revelation tells us that God's kingdom will have every tribe, tongue, and nation included into it. 
So God's heart is for the nations. So you have this court of the Gentiles where the nations could come and observe what happened inside the temple. He wanted the temple to be a place that displayed the character of God, the mercy of God. And so what was going on? Jesus shows up at the temple. What does he see going on in the court of Gentiles? He sees people selling animals that they could use for sacrifices, but upcharging them and profiting off of it. He sees people especially profiting off of the poor because it was the poor folks who didn't have the money to transport animals over long distances on their pilgrimage. So they're the ones that when they showed up at the temple, they needed to buy something. And so they thought, hey, this is a lucrative business opportunity. And so in the court of Gentiles, where God's heart and character is supposed to be displayed, you have people who are defrauding the most vulnerable and poor. Jesus goes nuts, rightfully so. And that's not a passage where we go, oh, great, we can go nuts too when we get mad. Nope. Jesus is allowed to defend his house and say, no, this will be a place that defends the character and the heart of God, especially for the poor and oppressed. Absolutely not. So what does he do? He gets them all out of there and he begins to teach. He begins to say, here is the character of God. Here is what the kingdom of God is like. And everyone's hanging on every word. And the Pharisees hated it. They wanted them out, but they couldn't drive them out because the crowds were there listening to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He is the one who gets to determine what is good and what is right and what is lovely and beautiful. We don't. And so Jesus is the one who has the authority to command us to how that we live our lives. And so Jesus has done just that, just like he did for his people. He said, hey, here's what I want to be done in the temple. And it's not what was happening. And so he put an end to it. But he gives us similar commands. I want you to display the character of God. Because doesn't God call all of us temples now? with the spirit indwelled inside of us, display the character of God to those who don't know me. Display the character of God to the nations. Display the character of God to the unclean. Display the character of God to the lost. And so that's why he commands us to do things because he's Lord. Serve the poor. That's a command so clear in scripture. Can't philosophize your way out of it. Serve him, Right? Go after the oppressed and vulnerable. Love your neighbor. Hey, don't let crude talk come out of your mouth. Why? Because I, I just, you know, I like do's and don'ts. No, because I want you are a temple to display the character of God. Romans 12, like live peaceably with all. Be reasonable, the scripture says. Why? I want you to display the character of God when people see you. I want it to be like they're in the court of Gentiles and they're being drawn in, not pushed away. That's why we have these commands. Jesus is Lord and saying, I'm king, I'm Lord. And here's how we're gonna display this to the world. So which also means we're gonna live differently. We're gonna have some different ethics our sexual ethics are gonna be different than the world's sexual ethics. The way that we go about business, the way that we treat people when they defraud us, all of that stuff, it's gonna be different than the world because we're displaying the character of God. So the question is, if we submit to Jesus as Lord, are we willing to look different in this world because we follow the commands of the Lord 
and not the commands of our culture. What makes for peace is living as a manifestation of the kingdom of this world, submitting to Jesus as Lord. Is he Lord of your life? Does he have that authority? Again, we're gonna wrestle with that. I believe tomorrow, I think that's tomorrow's theme. Jesus is Lord. So I encourage you to spend some time on that and reflect on that tomorrow. Last thing, Nick, I promise, man, I'm gonna go quick. Um, Nick, if you, if you guys want, y'all can come on up. Last thing, Jesus is Savior. He's Savior. Verses 41 and 42. We already read them, I just want to read them again. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, Jerusalem, my people, had known on this day the things that make for peace. As the people of God rejected Jesus, The irony of the passage is that he was there to give his life for them. He wasn't there to punish them. He wasn't there to condemn them. He was there to die for them. And the biggest obstacle for these people, and I think the biggest obstacle for us, when it comes to accepting Jesus for who he is, for accepting Jesus as the Messiah, is accepting him as Savior. Because if we're going to accept Jesus as Savior, then we have to submit to the fact and confess to the fact that we need saving. That there is something wrong with us that Jesus needs to heal and repair and redeem. And that was not something the Pharisees or the Jews of the day were willing to accept. That's not the message their ears wanted to hear. Their ears wanted to hear a God who would come, a king who would come and just make their lives better and fulfill all of their expectations. But Jesus came coming saying, hey, listen, repent. The kingdom of God is here. You need a savior. And what did they need to be saved from? They need to be safe from the fact that they had rejected him as Lord and King over their life. And it's the same thing that you and I need to be saved from, from rejecting him as Lord, rejecting him as King, putting our trust in him as our creator. That's what happened in Genesis chapter three, right? We rejected his rule. We said, God, no, I... I don't wanna live with you as an authority over me. I want that authority for myself and it broke everything. We're terrible kings of our lives, terrible lords over our own lives. Jesus wants that because he loves you and he's for you and he wants to bring peace into your life. And that's what we need to be saved from and that's why Jesus goes to the cross. He goes to the cross to forgive us from our sin, to pay the penalty and to start the kingdom, to invite you in and say, okay, you've been reconciled, you've been redeemed, you've been made new. And now you're in my kingdom forever and let's go and see this kingdom expand until I come back. So my question for you this morning is, have you received Jesus as Lord, but have you received him as savior in your life? Gone to him and saying, Jesus, I know that my heart has sinned against you because I've rejected you and I need forgiveness. But I trust in the cross. I trust in what you've done for me. 
And I now want you to be Lord and King of my life. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pray. And if you've never done that, and the Spirit is right now inside of you, leading and guiding you to pray that prayer, to make that confession, I just want you in the depths of your heart to pray along with me. Jesus, every one of us here this morning, no matter where we are, we want to confess before you that we are terrible kings, terrible lords of our own life. We confess that we've sinned against you, that we've rejected you as Lord and King, and we've gone our own way. But God, we come here today and we just want to submit ourselves under your good and kind rule over us. We want to ask for your forgiveness. We trust in the cross of Jesus Christ that that's where the kingdom started. That on the cross, Jesus paid for all of my sin. And I didn't deserve it. But I've now been clothed in his righteousness. And so God, I now walk in that. And I now submit to you as Lord and King. I will live according to your will. I will follow the commands that you have given me because I know they're good and they're for my joy and they're for your glory. We love you, Jesus. Jesus, you are king and your kingdom will last forever. And we submit our lives to your rule, to your lordship. To your good authority. In Jesus' name.